Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. I love the series that you guys are doing on the series on this idea of love, and, and I love it partially because that this word love has carries so much meaning and carries so much um, weight with it. But unfortunately, our society and culture has damaged it and destroyed it. You see, we live in a world right now where we use this word love too often and for whatever. And you may be sitting here today, and you may think that you have a solid idea of what love is, and without you realizing your definition of love is simply based on experience and on society. And though you think you know what love truly means, when you look at your life and what your life demonstrates, it will say otherwise. See, this word love gets thrown out so often. Examples of that will be people in your life that you may have uh, had relationships in the past, whether it's a family member or a friend, a girlfriend or boyfriend, someone that came to you and said, hey, I love you, and yet without you realizing they were gossiping behind your back, they were betraying you, they were saying things about you that were not true, they were doing things to you that were hurting you, things to you that were messing with, that things that mess with you. And you look at those people and you, if you're honest, you will say, okay, you were, you say that you love me and yet this is what you're doing. And because of that experience, when you look at the word love, that is the definition that you have. So some of you may have been in a relationship, it may have been your parents, may have been a family member, somebody that said to you, hey, I love you. And just like a boyfriend or girlfriend, you find that by through their actions that it is quite the opposite. And you allow those experiences to dictate or to define what it means to love. Or you look at just society in general. You look at social media. You look at media in general. You look at what movies are coming out. You look at TV shows. You look at all of these things that this world is putting out there for you to look at and say, this is what love is. Love is romantic. Love is all about you getting what you want. Love is about you being happy. Love is about you being fulfilled. And love is blah, 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 blah. And without you realizing, you allow now society to dictate what love is. And when you go into a series where you're talking not only about our love for God or God's love for us, but even our love for God, you start to see how this idea of love is harder and harder to embrace or to understand. That you may think, I may think that I'm actually loving God, but if I look at the definition of love that I'm basing it on, it's not a godly or biblical-based definition. It is a definition influenced by experience and society. And then we look at this idea of loving God, and it's a disaster because we are not looking at the way that it's meant to be defined. And I love, too, the way that you structure it in that the first message on this series was about God's love for you. You see, you cannot talk, we cannot talk about our love for God if first we don't talk about God's love for you. If you're here today and you say, Eric, I, I love God, but you have never experienced God's love in your life, then I will say to you that it's impossible. 
it is impossible for any of us to love God if we have not experienced his love first. See, his love meaning, the gospel meaning, too, that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and how three days later he rose from the dead. If you have not embraced this message, if you have not believed this message, then there is no way that you can love God. First, you have to experience his love. And so I love that that's how you started, and I love the topic for today, our love for God. Again, looking at what the Bible and the example that we have of love and not looking at our definition that has been solely influenced by our experience in society. You see, if, you were to, if we were to define love, the best way to define it is by looking at the example of Jesus. It is the most, I, I shouldn't say generic, but it's the answer that you will go to, an answer that is expected to hear at a church. Of course, we will say that love is the, the way that Jesus lived his life or the way that Jesus loved us. He, the example of Jesus. Of course, we will go there. But truly, love is sacrificial, love is serving, and love is um, uncompromised. It's, it's a love that is, com- uh, what's the word I'm looking at? A, co- uh, a covenant, it, meaning that there's nothing that can come along the, along the way that will break that, that could damage that, that could destroy that. It's a love that is not about yourself or getting your needs or getting what you want, but it's, about, it's a love that is about others. It's a love that you're recognizing that in all areas of your life, you come second. That in your family, you come second. That in your friendships, you come second. That in church, you come second. And on and on and on, you will realize that you come second. That is the the definition of love. And so to look at how, how we are to love God, we first have to start by talking about what love is. But once we understand what love is, then we have to acknowledge the elephant of the room, which is why is it so hard to love God? If we're honest, we can agree that it's hard to love God. And there are a few things that make it hard for us, and you will see them coming to the screen. Some of the things that make it hard for us is the fact that we have, if you look at the Bible and if you look at, if you've been to church long enough, you will see that there, there is a lot of standards into what, it li- what it's like to live in a way that honors God or to live a life that, that display your love for God. The Bible, you can make the case that has a lot of high standards, and you can put yourself in a position where you're saying to yourself, I appreciate what God did for me through his son Jesus. I love what he did for me on the cross. And I do genuinely want to love him. But man, it is tough to give all of the standards. It is tough to do what the Bible says that we should do. It is tough to live a life that is pure. It is tough to live a life that is not influenced by society. It is tough to live a life that allows things to make, lose our hope and lose our sight from God. It is hard to keep those things. And because of that, man, I don't know if I really want to love God. I don't know if I'm really even capable of loving God. You have high standards. You have temptation. Let's be honest. To sin is fun, and it brings pleasure. If it wasn't fun, and if it didn't bring any pleasure, then none of us would be doing it. But the fact that sin is fun, and it brings pleasure, makes me and you want to do it so often, and over and over. That same sin that you struggle with, the reason why you keep going back to it is because it's fun, and it brings pleasure. 
And even though we don't recognize that that fun that it brings and that pleasure that it brings is momentarily and comes not near short to what it really is to live a life in abundance of God, we tell ourselves that it's worth it because of that little momentary pleasure and fun that we get from it. And because we don't want to get away from that, because we don't want to let go of that, we tell ourselves, man, it is tough to love God because I love to do this. Man, I don't know if I can love God the way he wants me to love him because, man, have you done this? It's fun and it's bring pleasure. Number three, you see an example is commitment. It's unfortunate, but it is true. We live in a society, your generation, my generation is a generation that struggles with commitment. You think consider jobs how often people are jumping from one job to the other job because we live in a society where there are so many places that are hiring and we're constantly looking for something that will work best for us. That we don't really embrace or, you know, and I'm not making a case not to do that, but the reality is that you may find yourself thinking, man, I don't want, I'm not going to go to this job right here and set my, my roots and grow in that business, build a reputation, build a curriculum, build uh, my, my, my um, you know, relationship within the company and get to a point where I could excel and advance. Instead, I'm going to go here for a season and as soon as something else better comes up and presents itself, I'm going to go from there into here. You look at relationship into friend, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend, why people are constantly changing from one boyfriend or a girlfriend to the next because it is so easy to do in a generation where people are looking for that, where people are not committed. You can find a boyfriend and a girlfriend in a society where you have all this social media or, or all of these apps that would allow you to find those things, that all it takes is for you to swipe left or right, that all it takes for you to slide on somebody and say, hey, you want to go out? It is hard for you to have commitment in a relationship like that. Hence why the, age, the range for people to get married gets longer and longer. You have people that are 30, 25-year-old, or not 25, sorry, 30, 35 years old, that have been dating for 10 years, that are living together, that they're essentially basically married, but they don't want to get the title of marriage because of the commitment that it brings. So we live in a society with commitment. Then we look at the love of God and we say, why should I love God? I can commit to that. I don't know if I will be able to do it the way that he wants me to do it for how long he wants me to do it. I don't think I'm capable of that. And then the last one, you look, and this is the one that I tend to think that is the most dangerous one because the other three are very in front of you. They're out, they're out there. You see them. You can recognize them. You can be ready for them. But this one, the voices, is subtle. You don't see it coming. They come at you when your guard is down. They come at you when you least suspect it. Those voices in your life that tell you, hey, do not live this way. You should join me in doing this. Hey, do not feel that way about your relationship with God. You should be doing this. Hey, it won't hurt you to do this one more time. Hey, it won't bother, it will not make you a worse person to do this or that. Those voices in your life that are influenced by people, friends, family members, co-workers, staff, or people in your business, or even that internal voice of yours that is often influenced even by Satan that tells you, do not live the way that you're supposed to live. And so when you look at this idea of loving God, not only we're dealing with a false definition of love, but also you're looking at all of these different things that makes it so hard for you and me to love God. 
But I love the passage that we're going to cover today in 1 John. Because in a society that makes it so difficult to understand what love is, in a society that makes it so hard to be committed or complicates things for us to understand what it is to love, what it is that requires us to love God, we come here and we find a simple answer of what it is to love God. See, the people in the, that John is writing to are, not deal, are dealing with things, the same things you and I are dealing. And what he is saying to them applies to us just as much to us as it applied to them. And we're going to be in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. It's going to be towards the end of the Bible, and, but the verses will be on the screen. But I'm going to start in verse 1, even though we're going to be focusing on verses 3 to 6. But I'm going to start in verse 1 just so that we know the, a little bit of the context, what's going on. It says, says my little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things because you're struggling with sin, but I'm going to write them to you so that you don't sin, to encourage you, to challenge you not to sin. But if any of you does sin or has been sinning, we have an advocate. Let me remind you, you have an advocate, somebody who would stand on your behalf in front of God and advocate on your behalf with the Father. And that person is Jesus Christ, the righteous he is the propitiation. He's the one that took your place. He's the one that pay, made the payment for our sins. And not only for your sins, for our sins, but also for the whole world. And in light of this, he will say this in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandment. By this we will know that we love him. By this we will know that we understand him. By this we will grasp the idea of our love for God, in that we keep his commandment. In verse 4 it says, in verse 4 it says, whoever says, I know him, whoever is going around saying, I love God, or I know God, or I understand God, but does not keep his commandment, it's simple. He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected or completed. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he's advised in him, that he's part of him, that he lives in accordance with him, in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is what John is saying here. Now we live in a culture again that love to complicate things at times. And even though we may have a complex and a minor and obscure idea of what love truly is, we see here an example and very clearly what it is to love God. To love God, it is to keep his commandment. It's that simple. To love God is to keep his commandment. Now, to love God is to keep his commandment, but how do we know if you are doing that? How do we know if your love for God is actually the one that is to be? And the way that you know that is that the way that you live your life, your love for God is demonstrated by how you live your life. Your love for God is demonstrated by how you live your, your life. And so if your love for God is demonstrated by how you live, the decisions that you make, the things that you do and the things that you don't do, and then by how you keep your commandments, then you will see how you love God. So I'm not a mathematician. And full disclosure, I did terrible in high school. I, I just come clean because I know some of you have done it, and I'm not unique in this. But I know that when I was in high school, I, I che cheated in tests. 
a lot of tests. Actually, cheated all my way through. I graduated. Not only that, I I was so genius and smart that I pay my college professor, so he would pass me as a B plus. So I got a B plus. But if you ask me to do anything more than add or subtract, so long as it's a small amount, I'm gonna use a calculator. That's how it is. Not not for, not, not kidding. Actually, one time I. Uh, I did, a, I don't know why, but I had a, you know how you can go on your phone and see like all the apps, and this is just me being rabbit tail, but I, uh, I was looking at how I spent all my hours, and I had over 30 hours in one week on my calculator. How that happened, <laughs> I do not know, but somehow they said that I've been on my calculator for 30 hours. Anyways, all I have to say, I'm not a mathematician, clearly not a mathematician. I ain't going to be an engineer in one day, not, none of that, but I know simple formula. And a simple formula will be this, is that how you live plus how you keep his commandment will equal your love for him. Don't be bothered by it. I'm going to make it like that, so nice. Now there's a space. But I'm not a mathematician, but that is a simple solution. This is what we see here. Your, how you live and how you keep your, his commandment will then say, will demonstrate your love for him. So first we talk about, I mentioned earlier that you have to understand, you have to embrace the love that he demonstrated to you through his son Jesus. And once you embrace that, then the next natural thing, the next thing that should happen is us loving him. And the way that we love him is demonstrated by how we live and how we keep his commandment. Now, the word keep here that is used here carries a very big weight. In fact, it's a word that they will use to describe fortress and to describe military, uh, military uh, base. It was a word that meant to be that 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 meant that is that when some when someone was to keep something, they were gonna keep it in a way that it was uncompromised and well guarded. I, I remember when I was in high school and I loved to play paintball. I had an uncle or a family member. He was my dad's cousin. That he was one of the highest ranking generals in the Dominican Republic, where I'm from. And while he was one of the highest ranking, he allowed us to go to one of the military base in this third world country, and we were able to play paintball in one of their uh, training grounds for the special forces. It was such a sweet opportunity. But even in a third world country where they have no rumors of war, where they have literally no enemy, that you can make the case that there is no need for them to have military base, even then they had a well-secured and well-guarded base. They didn't allow just anyone to come in. They were ready if anyone was to come in. And the reality was that no one will ever go in because there was no need to go in there. But yet, they were work guarded and they were uncompromising their protection. So when you look at this idea of keeping your commandments of God, the, the other way that we can put it together or that we can define it is to have this uncompromised and well-guarded protection for God's commandment. That, I'm going to do this so you guys can see. That your Nice, nailed it. Damn it. Uh, that your command, that, that to keep the commandments of God means to have a well-guarded and uncompromised protection of his commandment. You guys understand what that means, uncompromised? Compromised meaning that it's not going to get mixed with things. You see, again, our culture 
And I keep going back to our culture because that's the world we live in. It's constantly missing things in a, in a bowl. They're experts on doing smoothie. That's why there's so many different smoothie places. You think that they will be done with smoothie places, but you find a new one. Ava, whatever, you, whatever name, avocado. They're always coming up with new ones. But there is a culture that is good at missing things. They miss what gender identity is. They miss what, you know, stress and anxiety is. They miss what is happiness. They miss all of this stuff. So when you try to find what it means, you have a hard time trying to see what it actually means because it is a mess. But when you are on compromise, when you keep things true as they're meant to be, you can have a clear understanding of what they mean. But not only is that, it means to be well guarded. Meaning that whether or not there are rumors of war, whether or not there is a need for you to, to, to be on, on your guard, whether or not you can make the case that you can take a break, whether or not you can make a case that you can chill and you can relax, whatever the, whatever the thing is, you will remain well guarded because you recognize the what if. That it may be a day when you least expect it, that someone will come and attack you. That even though logic will say that no one will go after you or nothing will happen to you, you will still remain well guarded because of the what if, of what if someone or something was come, or will come to, uh, to attack you. So when you, bring into, when you bring that into keeping God's commandment, you find the necessity in your part and in my part to not allow anything in the culture to compromise on how we keep his word. But not only that, that to be ready and to be well guarded, to recognize that there will be attacks. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan is going around like a roaring lion, <laughs> roaring lion looking to devour. We know that to be true from the scripture. We know that anytime he's around trying to attack us, so there is no need for us to not have our guards up. We recognize that, so we're going to keep our guards up because of what he did for us on the cross. Because we understand his sacrifice, we have embraced his love, we now need to love him. And the way we love him is by how we live our life and how we keep his commandment. But then the question will be then, how do you keep his commandment? And this is where we're going to get even more generic in the sense of you definitely have heard this in church. And you definitely have heard a pastor, a friend, or somebody tell you these things. And often what we do is that we hear those things that are generic or things that have often been shared from the pulpit. And we just dismiss them because it's like, oh, yeah, I know this. Oh, yeah, I heard this. But we don't realize that not only we're dismissing them in the sense of that, yeah, we have heard it, but even we're dismissing them in our life in that we're not applying it in our life. Even generic and simple things that we should be extra at. Because we hear it so often, we're so quick to just throw it out of the window as white noise. And I'm going to quote the great theologian, Steve Bogren. He's one of the pastors here. He said that if there is something that you hear so often that becomes white noise, it better be white noise because you have embraced it and you're living in your life in such a way that you don't need a reminder of it. That's quoting uh, Steve Bogren. So if you don't like it, you take it to him. But... These are the things that, this is how we can know whether or not, this is how you keep his commandment. You keep his commandment by being obedient to his word. In verse, four, in verse 5, it says this, whoever says, I know him, whoever is going around, if you are saying today that you love God, that you are know him, but you do not keep his commandment, then you are a liar, straight shooter, you are a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever does keep his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Whoever keep his word, truly the word of him, it's the word, the love of God is perfected. This is what it means. It means that you look at the Bible, and we talk about being uncompromised and about being well-guarded. It means that you're going to go from what the Bible says, and you're going to live a life in obedience to the entirety of the Bible. That even though it may say that, that even though it says that you should be pure, and even though you do, you have wrestles with impurity, and you know that the things that you're doing are, are, are fun and they bring you pleasure, but you know that the Bible tells you to remain pure and to live a life in purity, holy and acceptable to God. You're going to stick to that, and you're going to be obedient to the Word of God. Because in doing so, through your obedience to God, you're going to demonstrate, yet again, that you love Him by how you live. That when it says in the Bible that, you know, not to carry all the weight on yourself, not to carry the burdens on your own, and not to live a life with, like, letting the, the world and the pressure of the world just hit, get you on the ground, that to recognize that you have, an, you have an access to a father that cares and want to hear from you, that tells you, that says that you don't have because you don't ask. You are dealing with things because you're dealing. You're not going to go out and look for the world for those things. You're going to recognize that in his world you have the guidance that you need to be able to find peace and to find rest and to find assurance. That is what it means to be obedient to his word. But then it's not only that, it's also to be obedient in how you live like Jesus and to live like Jesus. It says this in the next two, in the next verses. It says, whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Of course, we will say that to keep his commandment is to live like Jesus. But do we really understand what, he, what this means? To live a life just like Jesus lived. What a blessing you and I have that we have access to the book of Matthew, John, Matthew, Mark, John, and Peter. Not Peter. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, yeah. Who can, Mateo, Marco, Luke, Juan. Nailed it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I got it in Spanish. Thank you for the, thanks to the Lord for that. Because... Peter. <laughs> I'm going to be hearing about this. Uh, but the, the, <laughs> the, fact that, the fact that we have these books where we can see the life of Jesus, we can look at his life and look at the example and see how he dealt with things that you and I deal all the time. You see, Jesus dealt with temptation, and we can see in his life the example of in, in his life by how he dealt with temptation, how he dealt with those things was not in a way that was supernatural and that only the Son of God could deal with it. He dealt with those things in the same way that you and I can deal with them, by understanding and knowing Scripture. The way that even though that there were times in his life, there was a time in his life where he was dealing with the pressure of what was ahead, in the journey of the cross, he said, Father, if there is any possible way that this cup could pass from me, meaning that if there's any possible way that I don't have to take on the journey of the cross because it's so heavy, because it is a journey that it, mean, it meant that I'm going to take your wrath. If there's any other way that I could not deal with this, please do it, but let your will be done. To see that in times where he was dealing with, with, with so much pressure, he surrendered himself to the will of the Father and said, let your will be done. That when you and I are dealing with the, the pressure of the world, that when you think that your world is just crumbling down, that you don't see a way out, that you're stuck, you can trust and, and, and simply rely and surrender yourself to God. 
That's the example we have in Jesus. So when we say to, to be obedient or to keep your commandment, it is to keep his word, but also to live in a way, in the same way that Jesus lived. We're not just saying generic things. We're saying things that bring a lot of weight. But these two things will demonstrate how you keep your commandment. And how you keep your commandment will demonstrate how you live, how you live your life. And how you live your life will demonstrate then your love for God. So the question I want to leave you with tonight, as we wrap up, is what does your life demonstrate? What does your life demonstrate? You said that you love God. You said that you are for God. You said that you have experienced love God in your life. Does your life demonstrate that? The only way to come to an answer to that is to say, yeah, my life demonstrates that because I keep his commandment. I'm obedient to his word, and I do my best to live a life in the same way that Jesus lived his life. If your answer is anything different than that, then I'm sorry. The apostle John says it very clear. You are a liar. In other words, you do not love God. So what does your life demonstrate? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the, or tonight. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word and just come together and learn from you, Lord. Father, I pray that uh, we will recognize, Lord, first, the love that you poured on the cross for us, Lord, and how even though we didn't deserve it, that even though we will fail you again, Lord, you still went through it because of your love for us, Lord. And such sacrifice the least, to such sacrifice, the least that we could do, Father, is to love you and to live away in a way that brings you honor and glory. And so, Father, I pray that everyone here, including myself, that we will live a life that will demonstrate our love for you, that we will be willing and we will be ready to, be not, to not be compromised and to uh, be well-guarded, Lord, in keeping your commandments, Lord, in protecting your commandments. And so, Father, I pray that that will be demonstrated not only today, but every day of our life. That when people look at us, they can see people that love you. Father, I pray for all of us in this room, uh, and I pray that you allow us and help us have a great uh, remainder of the, of the week. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. And then I don't know what happens next. You guys, all right. okay, and thrive. Yeah. <laughs>